Today's episode of the No Fun City podcast is brought to you by Quest Trade. There's a new world of investing where the fees are low and you come first. It's time to switch. Head over to questtrade.com to check out do-it-yourself, self-directed investing. Take matters into your own hands, build your own investment portfolio with a self-directed account and save on fees. Make your money work harder. Questrade is Canada's fastest growing online brokerage with over 21 years experience in the Canadian market, $18 billion in assets under administration, and a nine-time winner of the best managed companies in Canada. And you could rest assured knowing that your money is in good hands. They go above and beyond to protect your account with an additional $10 million in private insurance so you know your money is safe. For more information, check out questtrade.com. Just use the link in the description below. On to our show. Welcome to the No Fun City Podcast, episode 26. Another day, another episode. And we're here in Vancouver, not a one-on-one in-person uh, podcast because I live outside of the city and Alex lives inside of the city, but a podcast nonetheless. And I'm getting comfortable doing these Zoom episodes over doing the in-person. I was talking to Alex about this, who's our guest today. And uh, honestly, I prefer it this way better a little bit. It, it's just uh, less clean cleaning in my uh, realm of things. You know, when people have to come in the office, I have like a bunch of stuff going on on the other side. I try to make it look nice and clean, you know, everything professional. So I have to do some housekeeping on that side sometimes. So these Zoom episodes are becoming more and more practical as I do them. And uh, for, you know, Alex uh, being here right now, and for those of you listening, I actually used to be against doing Zoom episodes. I felt it was more intimate doing things in person. So I had a rule in place of like every episode is going to be in person. You have to come here. And if you don't want to come here, then you're not doing an episode too bad, so sad. But after the pandemic, I had to change things up. And when I did, I saw the light and I'm like, you know what? Zoom episodes, not too bad. We'll continue to do them. We'll give people the uh, opportunity to um, do the podcast from home or from the office. And um, sure enough, here we are today doing it from home. Well, both of us kind of doing it from home. You're in your office, though. I'm in my I'm office, too. Office. Yeah, I'm in my office. Oh, I... No, I was just saying, I'm, yeah, I'm at the office. I was actually considering like staying at home, but I came to the office to do this. And also, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm not in the city anymore either. My my wife and I we moved to Deep Cove, so we are kind of outside of the city. Oh wow! These days. Nice. Mm-hmm. So today, for people who don't know, and I'd be surprised if you don't know who Alex is. I don't know if that's saying a lot about you, Alex, but I'd be surprised because you do a lot of interesting and awesome work revolving around. And we were discussing this minutes ago. If it's interaction design, interactive design, uh, essentially anything that involves interaction people and i would say user experience is like the the all encompassing field of what you do but the interesting part about that isn't just the fact that you do user experience design but it does revolve heavily around interaction in the sense that a lot of your projects revolve around working with events or concerts or um, exhibits for example or you even do random stuff in the city, you know, like a few years ago, I was filming, public the, yeah, public space stuff. And uh, I was filming the drone shots for your science world exhibit mm. thing, which was pretty cool. So we're going to dive into the world of interactive design and what it is Alex actually does and like how he goes about coming up with these really creative, cool ideas. Um, and maybe like we could even go back to 
at least maybe the beginning of when I first met you, which was when you were doing an interactive display project. I think it was for Heineken, the spray cans, the graffiti wall, the interactive graffiti oh, wall yeah, display. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a long time yeah. ago, right? And then also the orb project that you did uh, for the concert show. Oh, the second walls. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I remember these things from so, so long ago because they were like um, really different compared to what I was used to seeing, at least in these interactive spaces. And I feel like you really brought an element of the digital world into real life spaces, allowing people to sort of like interact with them in a ways that they normally wouldn't. So sure enough, it was a screen and people were using a whatever, a fake graffiti can. But they were able to sort of like do manual, tangible interactions, <laughs> which is interesting because that's the name of the company that you run, Tangible Interactions, in, in that environment. So, Alex, the first part that I always start with people here is like, how did you get into what you do? And then the other side of it, you are not born in Vancouver or raised here by any means. You moved no. here. So what was that part of your life like where you started in a, another country moved to vancouver and then launched this company how did all of that come to be um <clears throat> like the the launching of the company being you know coming to vancouver stuff like that i i started in uruguay and where i worked for i think pretty much since i can remember i was some kind of a designer you know even from playing with things as a, as a kid and sitting down and like sketching ideas. And uh, I remember like one of my first things was like, you know, I wanted to make like a boat and I wanted to make a backpack and I wanted to make a tent. And and, uh, and some of these things I made, kind of made. And eventually I started getting into uh, graphic design when kind of like in my teen years, 15, 16, I, I discovered computers and how helpful they were and um i started using computers to do like graphic design and then like i i got really i got really into it and before i knew it you know by the time i was like in my 20s i had a graphic design studio and uh, i ran a graphic design studio in uruguay for maybe like 10 years until i moved to canada and by then i was actually without any studies really, because it wasn't really like a graphic design career in Uruguay at the time. Um, it was more like personal interest, just I'm always like really looking at stuff, always a lot of copying. I did a lot of like looking at something and trying to do something similar and um, and kind of like, and I think that's kind of like the natural way of, of learning, you know, even as a, as a kid, you, you, you learn by copying other people doing something. And, but it gets to a time that you, then you actually start, you feel like you actually start to, you want to find your, your own, your own way of doing things and you don't want to copy it anymore. Even to a point that happens to me was like, I don't even want to see other people's stuff anymore. I, I want to develop my own, you know, language and that happened in, in graphic design. And then I moved to Canada and I went from kind of like, I, I jumped from plain print graphic design to getting into interactive design. And then it was like a whole new world of like learning about uh, things that were dynamic that were changing. You know, you could roll over something and this thing could actually be have like a behavior. And and that was like, like really cool because it kind of like, it, it opened like a whole new, new space. 
but and I did that for another like good ten years. <clears throat> but um, but at the same time that I was like it was fascinated space because I was dealing you know like a fat you know with animation with film with illustration with typography with like layout with like navigation with all that kind of stuff which is more about people's uh, experiencing things and and their behavior and that kind of stuff. At the same time, I I was feeling like I got really far from from people. Like you know, I was just designing on screens. You're designing for people that you will most likely never see. They're on the other end of like technology, you know, like somewhere in the world, or uh, you never get to see that. While when I was actually doing print, you would actually create something and see it, and then somebody's holding a magazine or something that you're making, and they actually there's like a real life interaction with it. And um, so I can I miss that. I, I miss that that like designing. I think when when I was designing for like web, I was kind of like designing in isolation in that way. And I think that the romantic part of it started to like to fade as I also started to see like you know uh, like the you know the Facebooks and then a lot of social media stuff happening and like these like closed environments that were trying to get people's attention to really like sell advertising and stuff like that. It kinda, I don't know. I started to feel like it wasn't really that interesting to me anymore. And I started to go back to thinking about like creating, taking some of these experiences to, to the real world and creating like, you know, real life experiences with it. And, you know, like usually like I, I move through things really fast and, you know, have an idea and I kind of like see it, see it happen. You know, I want to see it happen in real life. And um, there was a time you know, back in 2000, the early 2000s, that I was actually looking at a lot of like interactive work it, that at the time was quite rudimentary, like um, interactive meaning as in physical in physical spaces, like the, the people doing the stuff that I was interested in, you know, like sculptures that were reacting to people or sculptures that were actually pulling data from the internet and, and doing different things and changing color or changing form. And I felt that was like fascinating. And um, I went to a conference in the States that somebody was doing talking about a project like that and it kind of like blew my mind that you could actually connect all these things together and create experiences in the real world and then you know coming back to Vancouver, I, I started like thinking of any way that i could inject some of this stuff into the, the work that i was doing at the time but there wasn't really any appetite it was i was working in an ad agency and there wasn't really any appetite at the time to do something like that because it was kind of like it seemed kind of crazy, like, and you know, like not the, the thing to do at the time. But I, I felt like that's what I wanted to do. And then eventually I found um, uh, there was a competition in Italy where they were actually asking for interactive projects. And they, they were these like large music concerts and they wanted to bring some interactive art into them. And, and I thought, you know, they, they had like kind of like gallery spaces where you could actually show the works. And I feel like, wow. It actually would be really cool to do something within the space where the, the people are, you know, like where they're actually listening to music and then dancing and, and all the performances. And I just came up with this really simple idea of creating these like inflatable balls that are, you know, like little balls, well, they're actually large, like seven feet in diameter, that when you, when you touch them, they would actually light up and then kind of like glow a color until they would fade. And then you 
bump to, together and they will light up again. And I was thinking how cool would it be to have like, you know, thousands of people and then turning the show from being like um, something where people are actually looking at the stage for people being part of the show. And then um, kind of like changing a bit of the dynamic of how uh, a show like that would be. And then anyways, I sent the prototype. Um, I, I'm sorry, I sent the proposal. They love the idea, but they say, you know, you don't have a prototype and you know, we can't give you, can't award you this thing. So from then on, I actually started working on this idea of putting these large inflatable walls that will light up when you touch them. And then it took me, I don't know, maybe like six months to get something off the ground. And then I pitched to them again for next year. They had the same, the same event. And then um, they gave me, I, they gave me, I could obviously like won this competition. They gave me a bit of money. I ended up producing a, a number of these, and then I ended up going to Italy, and then we launched them into the, the like the, to this event, and it was a, a huge hit. Where for the first time I was making this interactive idea, and then I was actually literally like just throwing it at people and and just letting it go and see it react and people reaction, and then it was really I think it was one of the most incredible experiences that I had doing what I do today because the reaction for from people was like uh, insane and they were actually looking for to see who was doing this and they came you know backstage to talk to me about it and then like people were hugging me and it's like crazy right it, it's kind of crazy and then nowadays you know like this is like 2007 so it's it's, it's a long time ago nowadays it's kind of like yeah I can see that I've seen those now but 15 years ago, this is like, no, nobody was doing that kind of stuff. So it was, it was, it was really cool. And the guys that organized the event, they filmed a video and they were really good at documenting the stuff and interviewing the people and they put it online. And um, suddenly I started getting emails and people asking me about it. And then uh, this thing that was just like a crazy idea that I wanted to experiment with, it just became something of it of its own and became a concept that actually started like you know it made me like fly around the world and then um go to europe like multiple times a year and then uh, yeah that's kind of like how everything started but yeah it's interesting you know how one project can change the trajectory of how your career path kind of flows you know what i mean like um yeah. you did that one pro- it was pretty basic too like it, it, it wasn't right being honest it wasn't like rocket science and that's the best thing is like sometimes the most basic ideas become like so profound in production especially with a concert right so and it is interesting because that aura project did seem to elevate your career in a sense of like now alex is known to do these interactive things but then you had to like take it to the next level (laughs) because now other people are coming to you wanting similar projects, but maybe different. And going back to the orb real quick, it reminded me of a concert. I think I was at a Coldplay concert. I'm pretty sure it was Coldplay. Um, they gave us wristbands to wear. Oh yeah, in the audience. Shallow bands. Shallow bands. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and it would go to like the beat of the music, and even every section, like would change color to make patterns in the crowd. I thought that was so cool. And like, 
um, so amazing um, to see like that form of interaction. And you're right. I would spend a lot of time looking at the crowd, not just as the, at the stage as part yeah. of the performance, which is really interesting. But that or project led you to other things. Um, one of the other ones that you did recently, or maybe not so recently, but something that I feel like I somehow influenced you to also do, which was the storm cloud. Do you remember this? No. You, you What's don't the storm cloud? Didn't you do like a cloud that was like changing colors? No, you did not. Do yeah, this? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, we did like in like, in Toronto. Okay, like so these infl inflatable clouds are light up. Yeah. So b years before that, like a couple years before that, I saw something similar, and I was like, Alex, you need to do something like this. Do you oh. remember that conversation? Oh. No. Okay. I had sent you a link. Have the worst memory. Yeah, I I, I had memory. sent you a link. I'm like, man, this. I wish Alex comes up with this because I knew you could do it like super well. <laughs> Yeah. And then a couple of years later, maybe a few years later, sure enough, like you came up with, with that concept, which I thought was really cool. Um, but recently in Vancouver, have you done anything that has been like an outdoor sort of public space uh, project with that's been interactive, much like, uh, you know, going back a few years ago, again, when you had the science world, what, what is it? The science world ball? What is that thing called? The sphere? We call it, uh, yeah, so geodesic, geodesic shape, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, just like dome. We, um, that was interactive, like hands-on interactive. And we did, we do have another project that is outdoors in front of a mental space, a mental, mental center. And it's not really interactive, but it's, it's also like a sculpture installation that reacts to music and stuff like that. And it creates these like patterns of color. Um, but it's not, it's not really interactive. Mm -hmm. um, um you know um i don't necessarily feel like everything we do has to be interactive i think it's more i'm, I'm more about the experience and sometimes interaction doesn't mean touch it and lights up sometimes interaction means more like oh what is that thing it's something that kind of brings you in and then creates you're interacting with the piece not because it's reacting to you but more because it's actually bringing you in, mm. and then I'm um, I'm I'm happy with that kind of stuff too. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've seen that uh, you work on stuff like that previously too. I think at um, the the Vancouver Aquarium, you did the mm -hmm. jellyfish that we're hanging. Yeah. is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, would be did. like a consideration of that. It's like something that you're yeah. not necessarily touching, but you are experiencing you know exactly. walking through that through yeah. that exhibit or whatever right so exactly. a, lo a lot of these projects though they take a lot of time <laughs> they do. and then they are also very tedious because you know with technology comes problems Pain. right yeah. <laughs> yeah so what are some of the uh i don't know pain points that you've had throughout your career that um, almost like bombshell moments like this totally failed this one time and this is what what was the case and how do you worst. deal with like how do you deal with the, that kind of pressure when you're like at a live event and something is not functioning when it you know it's got to be an interactive thing right i think um i think the worst bomb was uh, a massive 
festival in New York, where we 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 were doing this uh, graffiti wall, but it was on a 150 foot LED screen, and <clears throat> we developed this system all based uh, in uh, this technology. They can actually do like a capture of you know movement, you know motion capture in 3D, and um, we tested it. We partnered with a company out of LA, like a, a university, and it was really amazing the way it worked. And we, we flew to the States. We tested it at a warehouse with big LED screens with our system, and which was like flawless. Everything worked really well. It, it was a lot of work, but everything worked really well. And then there was one interesting piece that uh, we, we were making these like graffiti cans, and these cans had like this special hardware so we can actually track them in 3d space and this hardware had like a 3d had a um a wireless transmitter to talk to like to to a, a receiver and that would actually like um sending the 3d location of these scans <clears throat> we never had an issue with them we didn't even thought of anything could go wrong with it but when we show up to the event in new york we start testing and then the system does not work consistently. And then we were just like, we just can't figure out why this thing doesn't work. It's just, we were losing tracking. It was erratic. It was like the behavior was like really strange. And then one thing that we found out is that we were actually like blocks away from a, um, a police station with tons of wireless um, transmission. And they said, you know, even the the, the 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 festival was having a lot of issues with all the wireless mics and stuff like that. It was so it was a huge it was a huge deal because we had a massive project in our hands and it wasn't really working properly. But you know, like I usually like like I'm, I've been in situations like that a number of times, and I was I'm, I got pretty good at thinking on my feet. Or like I, I usually never I don't get defeated. It's like okay, it's like okay, what can we do now? You know, some people are like, oh, you know, like they just get defeated and think about all the problems. And it's like, no, it's like, well, the problems already exist. It's like, what, how can we, what can we fix it? And then my, my solution was actually to have the, the artist use the can and grab the transmit, grab the receiver on the other hand. So they were like really close proximity. So they basically have like a, this tethered can and, and that actually seemed to work. And that's how we, we, we you know, in the eyes of the audience, it, it worked fine, though. In our eyes, it was a, it was a nightmare, but yeah, it worked. Nice, yeah. As soon as you said New York and an event, I knew that it was a problem with like wireless or Bluetooth instantly. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have some friends who live in New York, and um, I ride electric longboards. There's one of them yeah. is right over there, and they run off Bluetooth, right? Like Bluetooth technology, yeah. right? Um, and Back in the day when these things first came out, you know, they had weak Bluetooth mm -hmm. signals or whatever. So my friends in New York, they would always run into problems where their boards would cut out randomly. Like no matter what, what product, it was just like the remote would stop working and it would just not move. And it was fine. It's not like it's not necessarily a full on safety issue because New York's pretty flat where they're riding in the city. But like, yeah, if you're bombing down a hill and it happens, you're... You've got to turn to manual mode quite quick, right? So yeah. um, so when you said that, I knew right away, I'm like, oh, this is probably something to do with Bluetooth or wireless because yeah. I, I know this problem too well. Yeah. 
Um, luckily, since then, I guess the Bluetooth technology has improved a little bit on these boards and um, it's gotten a lot better. But I actually had uh, something funky happen that I don't think would ever happen, but could affect your work at some point. One night I was out riding my electric longboard, you know, interacting with my interactive board. And um, suddenly mine cut out. I was on flat, just like on a path, no problem. And I'm like, what? Like, what was this about? I'd never had it happen to me before. And I live in the suburbs, you know, in Coquitlam. Yeah. So we don't have major Wi-Fi problems or Bluetooth mm -hmm. connection issues. It was really weird. And then that night, I found out that there was a solar flare that happened oh. at the time that my um, board wow. had disconnected. And the solar flare was actually the culprit of why my board disconnected. And it never happened again. And it had never happened before that. And on that yeah. night, it just happened to have a solar flare while I was riding and it disconnected. So if you ever run into an issue and it just like it's randomly like happens, chances are it was a solar flare. <laughs> okay. yeah. But that's crazy, eh? Like something's happening on the sun, you know, in yeah. space. And it's even affecting your longboard. So when I looked this up, I thought it was a Bluetooth issue. And then I realized like, oh, solar flare. And then, oh, it could also trigger wireless networks and stuff like that. And I, yeah, you know, dug a little deeper in it. And I realized, okay, yeah, this was probably what had happened. So it's pretty, pretty uh, interesting. But now your interactive designs and that whole space in which you're working has kind of taken a new form with a bit of, I guess it's a form of a partnership or collaboration with a good friend of yours. And, you know, mm. somebody that I know well as well, Carson Ting, uh, illustrator, who's actually my next guest and literally filming it an hour after we finish wrapping up your episode. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to change my shirt so it looks like it's a completely different day. Nice behind the scenes work, you know. Um, move, move some stuff behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just change the boards like one move to the, the other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, it's revolving around the world of the NFT space. So you know, just quick gist of what Carson has done, which is uh, illustrations for NFTs based around a series that he calls Billions Buns, based on his drawings. You know, he's got very specific niche kind of yeah. drawings if i look at something i know carson ting has done created it without even being yeah. told like you just know yeah so um why don't you talk a bit about what you're doing there with him now and what you guys have created just this past it's been a, about a month i'd say is that correct a month or two yeah, yeah that we launched it yes yeah so you know carson i've like have you know met during the olympics like uh working on a project I was doing um, uh, a, a big project for the the art gallery, um, and I wanted to create like really large mural, like the size of a whole wall inside the art gallery, and then <clears throat> I wanted people to be painting it live, basically. So we 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 rented like a big warehouse. We had a massive wall being painted live. We captured all that in film, and then we projected it in real in real time. On at the art gallery in real size, so it looked like there were people painting, but it was all like a projection. And Carson happened to be one of the illustrators working on this, on the graffiti artist. And then you know we we met through that. We became kind of like 
trends. And then we, we've been working on projects for the last 15 years. Well, yeah, 10, 15 years, I guess. Um, <clears throat> different kinds of stuff, like random stuff. And it's always been our like, kind of like taking his stuff, taking my stuff, putting it together and creating something cool. And the last time was this NFT project that we did together. And he had already launched his um, billion month project and did really well. And uh, he, he was talking to me a lot about like doing NFTs and at the well, but I just don't know how I can actually bring any value or anything different about it. And then it's like, through just like messages and stuff like that, I started like uh, sketching different ideas on how we could take his, the idea of the buns and then into like a 3D world. So we started like modeling like these buns and then um, we just came up with a whole new NFT, which is space buns, which are these like buns are actually running in space and kind of like they're lost. And there's a bit of a story around that. And then we worked on the production of these uh, guys and we, we did, you know, like all the modeling, texturing, using all the cars as textures. And then we did, um, um, the animations and then we also with my team we came up with a way of making it generative so meaning meaning that we were able to create like 3500 different um uh characters running with different textures different faces different helmets different suits different everything and it was like a quite you know like a, a learning experience um that we finished about like a, i guess it's like a couple months ago and now it's kind of like out in the world and, you know, Carson keeps doing stuff and we're meaning to see what else we're going to do next. And then it's a project that now it's kind of like, it's a lot. Yeah, it's really uh, cool and interesting to see how, like, you know, we even mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the concerts and the orb and how that led to something else, but how one small project can lead into like a spiral into this bigger living yeah. element right and especially now with the nft space which is still like in its baby world right like we're talking yeah. comparative to the people who don't know much about nfts oh it's a jpeg i could just download <laughs> it <laughs> you know like so as somebody who is in nft space and has worked on an nft project why do nfts matter it's a, it's a tough question. I don't know that actually I'd be very good at answering because I still feel like we, we got into it, but it's not really at my native space. Um, I was excited to learn about it and make it this like an experience to, to learn more about it. Um, so I don't know that I want to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's, but, but you're part of a project that runs NFTs, but like yeah. what, what was your... I guess the the better question is like, what was your opinion going in on it? Like, what were your thoughts? Were you also in in the world of mainstream where you're like, I don't even understand this, but okay, it makes money. Uh no, I was I was quite honestly quite skeptical at the beginning, but then I think a huge part of what we do is like is is about is learning. Like a, a huge part of what I what I what I like the most of the stuff that we do in general is the process of doing it. It's not it's not the DM result. It's not mm -hmm. like whatever is gonna come next. It's actually the process of like you know learning how to do something, working with a team, like figuring it out, looking at all the obstacles, all that kind of stuff. So for me, this was another project where we would actually immerse ourselves into a whole new world and learn you know how to learn all about it, and that 
it was it was very it was very very cool and very exciting to 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 do that part and you know like always doing project with Carson it's just so much fun um uh, you know Carson just like crazy so many ideas and and then uh, it just it was just it's just a lot of fun to to work in this project and I really like the idea of creating like a, a community of people that we could keep working with and then like uh hopefully like deliver new things uh have like this 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 um this project kind of like that could be you know transform over time and, and and do who knows what like that's the thing and basically that we ended up doing another nft for a, for a client that hasn't launched yet and then and then because of that we also went into these events that are nft related so we got to meet a whole bunch of people in the NFT world and doing other things with metaverse and stuff like that and and then because of that, we were actually thinking, you know, like how is there a place for us where we can create experiences that actually are in between, you know, in between metaverse and real life experiences. And then we started thinking about like, you know, creating these like portals between that space and the real life. So, like so I just, I just like the idea of doing things that are, you know, like you were saying, you know, you start with something and who knows where you're going to end up, right? Um, and, and I think this project is, is, is been something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When I heard Carson was going to do NFTs, I got excited right away. I I got excited right away. And I'm like, this is going to be really good. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be good for anybody. I mean, it's going to be good uh, for Carson in general. But then when you collaborated with him on it and like, so he did one wave, right? And then on the yeah. second wave, the space buns essentially where you hopped on board with him, right? So what was the difference as far as the workflow, when you were working with Al, uh, Carson, like he was coming up with the designs. What were you what were you doing for that particular project when it came to the whole creation of these NFTs? Well, it was more like he, he was actually he, um, at the beginning, I was actually designing in 3D and I was actually just slapping his I would just go through its website pick some images, slap them on the suit and, and create the suits and like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, oh, that's cool. And then we started like developing this style like together. And then it got to a point that he actually started like making things or uh, making a bunch of things. And then on our end, we created a tool that would actually generate all these patterns based on his drawings. He will give us like big databases of like, you know, like, I don't know, like bananas, balls, cups, people, stuff like that. And then we would actually mix them all together to create all these like patterns and then then slap that on on, on the suit. So it was very much every step of the way, it wasn't either me or him doing anything in isolation. It was just like a true like collaboration. Yeah, like a straight like collaboration between yeah. the two of you, which yeah. is really cool. Like yeah. I would never do that project on my own neither would he ever do that project or himself mm, yeah no i totally got that yeah yeah that's really interesting because uh i was always like when i found out that carson was doing the nfts i was not skeptical i knew that his nfts would be successful but there are so many nfts out there that like don't work out and just like yeah. you know like everybody hears nfts they're like oh, i'm gonna draw a picture i'm gonna get five ethereum for this <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like they think they're going to make like a boatload of money and it doesn't necessarily happen. Then there are these other companies and um, collaborators that are literally groups of people 
that create yeah. the NFTs and market it and pump it out together. Yeah. And like, they've become like sort of a, it's more like a company than it is an individual doing these things. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that Carson would, would do well uh, in that space. And then to see the extent of that, you know, you joining in on it and collaborating with him on the second series. And I'm sure you guys have more ideas coming down the mm -hmm. the waterworks for that um is really good to see that it was successful like you know the assumption yeah. that carson would do well and that you would do well actually came to fruition which is amazing but now what's next for you and, and or your collaboration with carson or what are you working on coming up that we could look forward to that you can talk about and it, that is not you know an Secret. nda of any sort we like we we were actually we're, we're meant to like to meet next week and talk about it. We actually took a little bit of a break because there was so much work coming up, you know, to 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 it. And also, we both Carson and I we we travel for basically the last almost the last month. we you know working on stuff. So right now we're actually meeting next week to see what what's what's next. We have some ideas stuff like that, but nothing has been put into in place yet. Nice. Uh, is it still revolving around the billions buns or is this something new? Yeah, like... yeah, no, it, it's still like always going to be, I think it's always going to be a bun, bun related. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but the other thing we're seeing is, you know, it's more like, not necessarily like making more NFTs, but more like, okay, oh, let's now use, we're doing this event and then we're making, we may be making this like large inflatable with the bunnies and then that we try you know stuff mm -hmm. like that it's more like giving life to some of these characters that we uh we created right so you build up like uh almost like a fan base who appreciate billion buns in general exactly. as like characters kind of like dunnies yeah. like kid robot yeah right? exactly yeah exactly. so you could even go as far as making vinyl toys if you wanted to yeah boom there you go <laughs> okay alex uh um, i'm gonna say right now i want one of those when they're ready i will pay for it <laughs> but i want one when they're ready please please tell car yeah. I'll, I'll pay for it i'll literally pay for it but just get me one in color okay thank you i appreciate it. i'm holding you to that it's on the air okay i will send you this video multiple times if i don't hear back <laughs> okay. like you said I can have okay cool i'll pay for it tell tell carson i'll pay for it too i'll put it back here somewhere It'll be next to the you monkey. Tell him, in, tell him in, in one hour when you talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll remind <laughs> him too, for sure. For sure. Okay, so more billion buns are coming down the waterworks, but anything else outside of that that you're going to be working on that you can talk about a little bit? Uh, nothing on the, in that space. No, not really. No. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate, I guess. I was like <laughs> I mean, up. it's not, not forever, right? It's like, yeah. you know, we 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 do so many different things that it change. You know, one that we're working on the NFT, and tomorrow we're working on this light installation, and then we're it just it just keeps changing. Yeah, definitely. So, of all the things you worked on, what's like your favorite type of project? So, whether it be, for example, working on the NFTs with Carson, working on um, specific exhibits or public spaces, or is it the concert stuff that you do or is it specifically the digital interaction designs like the graffiti cans, for example, what's like one type of project that you just always have fun doing regardless how tedious it might be. They're never tedious. I, at least I never see them as tedious. And, and like I said, because what I enjoy is, is really the process of the work and not, 
necessarily the of course I love the, the ending of it, but I love the process of it. I I look back to all the projects we've worked on and I just love everything. This is is the process that I look forward to. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh I love you know, I love making this thing. It's like I love this thing the way it is. It's like, no, actually I love working on it. And then, you know, when we're actually doing the animation and how it's gonna be done and how we're gonna feel how we're gonna map textures to it and the process is what I actually find really enjoyable and fascinating. And so it's more like it's the stream the stream of projects that I, I love. This is not the Oh, I really love that project that I did three years ago. It's like, yeah, I don't even remember what I did three years ago. It's more, like, <laughs> it's more of a, like the stream of working on these projects and then going through the process of like discovery and then experimentation and, you know, like getting other people's inputs and then like getting my vision on paper and then into 3D and to something that is, you, that is, you know, you print that you can hold. It's all that that is, I think is the enjoyable part of the work. Mm -hmm. No, I totally hear you. That's legit um before i let you go is there anything that you specifically want to talk about anything that you want to mention or anything uh that you want to get out there to the people in the world listening or watching regarding you your work or anything going on i think more more again you know like about the stuff that i i enjoy doing is um it's about like it, it, it's so cool to I almost when, when you know you have an idea like I don't even know where the ideas come from anymore but it's almost like you have like a vision and then like they just come to you and they're like oh yeah we can do this and they just come like that and then sometimes it's like an hour later you could be holding this thing that it didn't even exist before and it just came out of your like your you know your own your story your experience your living life and then connecting the dots of things that are like not normally connected and then suddenly it's like oh we could do this and then when you hold it and it becomes real it's just like it's so cool to to go from like oh that thing didn't exist before and then it kind of like at one moment existed in my head and now it exists in the real world and now now it's real and i think that's so that's the stuff that i can never get enough i just so fun definitely and, and it's funny yeah it's funny you mentioned that because if you recall, uh, God, it was so many years ago, maybe even like 10 years ago. I forget when it was, but remember when we did the episode of Design to Speak with yeah. you? Okay, so yeah. for yeah. those who are listening who don't know, a long time ago, I started a series called Design to Speak where I did snippets with my buddy uh, Ryan Ma, who's a videographer, and we interviewed creative people in Vancouver and also outside of Vancouver just talking about uh, one part of creativity or a thought process, essentially. Before we did Design to Speak, I had done a pilot myself for, and this was a school project. It was actually my final project for my BA program. And um, in that episode, I talk about the notion and importance of an idea and how quickly a great idea, like you have so many ideas in your head, and, you know, you got to cherry pick these gems and sometimes you have a great idea, but you don't even do anything with it and you let it go and then it becomes lifeless. But then if you attach yourself to an idea and you roll with it, you can bring it to life, essentially. Right. And that's mm -hmm. literally what happened with Design to Speak. Design to Speak was a project at school. 
I did that one episode, then people are like, oh, you should do this for real. And then just interview people regularly. And I'm like, it's funny, I was contemplating that, but I just didn't think it would be worth doing. And then we did it. And even up until two years ago, every so often, I still do another episode. It just, you know, comes and goes randomly. But it's weird. And that's how that started. And then that's that and Creative Mornings is how I met you and Carson. Yeah. And then I did yeah. an episode with each of you. Right. So yeah. it's funny that you should mention that because, yeah, that's literally how that happened. And then that was my idea that kind of came to life. And it's just as simple as a video. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a simple series, two, three minutes long. Alex, I think you were even talking about just interaction design and people like um, interact. Yeah. Interacting and user experience and stuff like that. Um, and I think you even mentioned something mildly along the lines of what you just said in that video. But as soon as you were talking about that, I'm like, wow, that's that's interesting, because that's literally how I felt about that one idea. And I think it's super important for anybody out there, whether you're creative or not, if you have an idea and you think it's a good one, just do it. What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Like even this podcast was just an idea one day, you know, and it only got created because we did design to speak, which got me doing other yeah. videos, which got me doing other exactly. videos, which then led to this. Right. So it's really interesting how that ball just continues to roll into different opportunities and different creations as has your career like your career speaks that like if you look at the history of your career it's done exactly exactly that it's spiraled from one thing to another that's been great and has elevated your games in different ways but um any final thoughts before i let you go any any last words no <laughs> okay cool well that being said Keep alex yeah, keep making stuff. Uh, where can people find you, learn more about you, learn more about tangible interaction? Like, uh, how can they just, uh, yeah, find you on social yeah, media and all that stuff? Like, our, our website is tangibleinteraction.com and then social media is at tangibleint. Awesome. Perfect. So, that is the end of our episode of the No Fun City podcast with Alex Beam. Stay tuned because I'm going to be, uh, doing an episode with Carson Ting right after this, but they won't see it for another month. No. So yeah, <laughs> episodes here are monthly. So even though you two are back to back, um, they won't see it for another month. And then for, we might have an episode in December, ladies and gentlemen, I sometimes skip December because, you know, winter holidays, I just want to take a break, but we might do one for December and then we will be continuing in January. So the next episode you will see will be with Carson Ting. The episode after that will either be in December or January, and I'll keep you posted on that. As for myself and the podcast, you can catch us at No Fun City Podcast on Instagram. And uh, other than that, you can catch us on our YouTube channel, Anchor FM as well. Um, and it's available on all your podcast platforms of choice. So Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. Uh, we were on Facebook for a while, but then Facebook pulled their podcasts. Uh, if you have any questions, leave them in the description below or send me an email. If you know anybody who'd be great for the podcast, do the same thing and I'll have a look and I'll get back to you. All the information for that is in the description below. Um, otherwise, catch the video on YouTube and catch the audio on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you for watching the No Fun City podcast. This is the end of the episode. Peace out. And 
Today's episode of the No Fun City podcast is brought to you by Quest Trade. There's a new world of investing where the fees are low and you come first. It's time to switch. Head over to questtrade.com to check out do-it-yourself, self-directed investing. Take matters into your own hands, build your own investment portfolio with a self-directed account and save on fees. Make your money work harder. Questrade is Canada's fastest growing online brokerage with over 21 years experience in the Canadian market, $18 billion in assets under administration, and a nine-time winner of the best managed companies in Canada. And you could rest assured knowing that your money is in good hands. They go above and beyond to protect your account with an additional $10 million in private insurance so you know your money is safe. For more information, check out questtrade.com. Just use the link in the description below.